Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness, where we will be sharing insights into the world of mental health and wellness as we explore traditional medicine and holistic healing options. It's time to have new conversations about mental health. Join Mara James, the founder and CEO of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, as she guides us along this journey. And now, let's talk wellness. Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I am your host, Mara James, and I want to say thank you for joining us for today's conversation. During Let's Talk Wellness, we focus on healing, understanding, growth, and spirituality. This is part of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a subsidiary of the nonprofit organization called Extraordinary Lives Foundation, where we are devoted to supporting mental health awareness and providing resources for children and their families. As the founder of these organizations, I have the great joy of collaborating with a team of amazing people to bring healing to children and their families around the world. You can find out all the information at elfempowers.org, and you can find this link in the show information. Now, let's talk mm-hmm. wellness with today's guest, Dr. Greg Olson. We're going to be discussing emotions mm-hmm. in motion. Welcome, Dr. Greg. Mara, thank you so much. It's fantastic to be here with you today. Um, yeah, I was just really looking looking forward to our to our talk today. So thank you. Oh, thank you. You've been such um, an instrument in my healing recently. So I'm grateful for you, and we'll get into that shortly. So as a doctor of chiropractic specializing in integrative health, yes. and you focus on the integration of emotional, physical, and metabolic health, why did you go into this field? Going into this field, um, you know, in the beginning, it was about simply uh, really enjoying helping people. Um, I had uh, a lot of background with regard to um, family, was into like, uh, electricians, and I used to figure a lot of things out, problem solving, and and uh, but I also loved working with uh, the body. I loved working out when I was in high school, and and uh, originally had the idea of going into physical therapy, which is a great field. Um, in my journey, I ended up working uh, for a physical therapist for a period of time, then also working for, um, at the time, uh, an integrative, to some extent, chiropractor, uh, who opened my eyes to some of what can happen um, in terms of with the kinesiology and muscle testing and beginning to look for, you know, really asking the question, why is this happening? Um, so I, in, in preparing for today, one of the things that was interesting, I was looking back at um, one of the early books that I read called Body Electric um, by Robert Becker. And it talked about um, the electrical connections in, for the body and not just people, but also different animals. And uh, my bridge here was really uh, looking at um, the body electric and also looking at how that can fit into the healthcare field. Um, and what I found for me within chiropractic in the kinesiology realm uh, that really brought it together and it made sense. Um, at the first exposure, I didn't know the entire spectrum of what kinesiology was. I just knew that this doctor I was working for did it. Um, but it, it was inspiring enough for me that I changed my path from physical therapy into chiropractic. Um, and ultimately, when I got to chiropractic college, I started asking questions. I said, hey, you know, there's this great thing that happens. And, and where do I learn about this? Where do I do this? Um, and so they directed me and, and I started doing more studies and, and figuring uh, where to go to learn this. Um, and it just made sense. Um, 
you know, rather than just the body being a static structure that we you know, apply pressure and do things, which there's nothing wrong with, absolutely nothing wrong with, with uh, straight chiropractic because it helps millions of people. But for me, it really made sense to say, hey, why is this happening? Um, and that opened a, a, a great door. Um, and with regard to today's conversation about emotional health, um, there was really a, it, about that time, uh, it had been a, a process that I do that we've done called neuroemotional technique, um, which talks about the physiology of emotions or how emotions can physically affect the body had been um, uh, discovered and been, been uh, being taught for about four or five years. And I went to that and uh, it was just amazing to see how emotions connected. And, and uh, as we started to do it, we could see things clearing with the body that would typically be like, okay, we've got to do these physical things for the body to treat it. But it, once we release the emotions associated with it, it'd be like, wow, that's gone. Um, those patterns are gone. Um, and so the, the, the uh, integrated part of that uh, kinesiology approach is, is really looking at three foundational things as you described in the beginning. Um, one is traditional physical type of work. Um, that can be chiropractic work, that can be exercise, that can be um, cranial sacral work. There's a lot of different ways to address things physically. Um, the other part is metabolic. You're looking at uh, nutritional health, metabolic systems in the body, gut health, uh, digestive health, enzymes, uh, brain health. And then the third one, which is the topic of today, uh, is talking about emotions. Uh, so that that just made sense to me, is the biggest thing that I could say with regard to it. Um, and I'm a common sense kind of guy. Hey, it makes sense. <laughs> so I love that. Um, and you're throwing around the word kinesiology and muscle testing. Can you share yes. with our um, guests today what those actually are? Absolutely. So kinesiology is the study of movement and muscle function. And so, so that can be a study in and of by itself. Um, what I'm referring to is a distinction of what we now call professional kinesiology, which is um, doing muscle testing, uh, where we may test a, a muscle or muscle group and, and look for ways to access how the body is performing or functioning uh, related to that muscle test. So um, that can be done uh, in general or very specific. So if somebody had an injury around a joint or they injured their neck, you can test those muscles specifically, um, or it can be done uh, for general testing purposes, what we do now for, for uh, the process or neuroemotional technique. And when you do the muscle testing, does it matter what part of the body you're using to, um, to get the responses? It, it really, for, the, for what we do with the neuroemotional technique, we can test any muscle in the body. Um, for the practitioner side, what I do is really, it's just what is easy uh, for testing purposes. So. Yeah, I know for me, you've used my leg and arms a lot. So that's been amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the like, how would you describe, I guess, the main difference between you and your, I, I don't like to use the word typical, but I'll use it here, your typical uh -huh. chiropractor. <laughs> uh, a, a standard, a typical chiropractic approach is going to be very, is typically going to be very, very physical. Um, it's going to be looking at maybe some lifestyle recommendations, but uh, you might come in, you might be evaluated and you've got some, most commonly it's going to be presented for neck pain or back pain. Um, and they're going to be some physical type of work. It could be adjustments. It could be uh, massage work. It could be electrical stim. Um, and all those things are fantastic. Um, but I was, I would, if I was talking to you, Mara, is I would say, if, you know, if we've got this problem that's in your neck, 
and is a physical problem and I do these physical types of treatment to it, you're going to respond great. But if you have these things going on in your neck and there's some kind of nutritional component, there's inflammation, there's other processes going on and we start doing all this physical work, it's not going to work very well. And likewise, if there are emotions that are stored in that area that's affecting it, um, that's the same thing. Um, it's just not typically going to respond well if we don't find the source or sources of things that are happening. And it could be one or all three of those. And that's really the distinction with it is finding out what your body needs rather than saying, this is what I do and I'm going to do it to you. So. Here's a, yeah. So here's a big question. In your yes, opinion, I, can someone fully heal their physical ailment without um, also looking at or working on healing their emotions? That really depends. That really depends. I think, um, you know, we all have emotional connections um, that, that uh, we can look at. Um, some people have different connections than others that have more, uh, that are more upfront that need to be addressed. Um, but if, if uh, you know, my son was playing football and he went out and, and played in a football game and he got tackled, he has a physical injury um, and that needed physical type of work. Um, but there are things that accumulate because of um, that physiology of emotions. Um, if you have a trigger that's triggering in your daily life, that's causing muscles and other areas to malfunction, if you don't address those emotional triggers, that area is never going to heal fully. If that answers your question. Absolutely. So do you ever have um, patients come that might have similar issues on and off that don't want to go to the emotions and they so you keep seeing repeated um, pains and aches? Oh, abs absolutely. Yes, that definitely happens. Um, you know, and that might be, um, in any of those, we're called the triad of health, any of those three areas, if somebody just says, I just want to have physical work done, but they don't want to change their diet, uh, they don't want to get out of a stressful situation, work or relationship or address emotional triggers, um, all of those are in the, in the emotional realm. Um, you know, you can have uh, toxic emotions that you're exposed to, and those can be those uh, triggers at the subconscious level. Um, or they can be on the conscious level, you're in a bad relationship, you're in a bad job, you're I mean, those are all things that can be toxins, uh, toxic exposure to your system. Um, and that could also be toxic chemical exposure. You might have a lousy diet. You might have um, other things that are going on, toxic toxins in your body that are creating that environment. So for the metabolic, what type of testing do you do with your patients? For the metabolic portion, it can be a variety of things. It can be everything from uh, questionnaires that give me orientation for how the body's doing it. It's a symptom questionnaire. Um, one of the most common ones is called a metabolic assessment form. And, and that breaks down different areas of your body um, by series of questions. And so if you answer those honestly, and I do say honestly for a reason, <laughs> um, and if you take your time to answer those um, as best you can, it generally tells us, hey, these are areas in your body that might have some stress or imbalance with them. Um, so that, that'll break down areas of, of uh, digestion, liver, gallbladder, um, and basically gives us an information on those. Um, other ways we assess it, assess it is, through, is through blood work. So that could be a standard blood panel. Typically, the ones that we run are a bit more comprehensive than what most, most people get. Um, it could be um, on the lines of blood work. It could be uh, one we have is called a micronutrients test. Um, so Oftentimes things can be tested in the blood for nutritional levels like vitamin D, B12, 
um, which are very important, but the micronutrient what we call intracellular testing will actually test what's inside your cells, which is really what matters. If it's in your blood, that's, that's one level. Um, so that's another level of testing as an example of, of checking intracellular nutritional levels. Um, we also do blood work. We all, I'm sorry, I already said, <laughs> we, also, we also will check saliva. We also check urine, uh, stool samples, and sometimes hair samples as well. All of those areas uh, are the bodies that we can measure how metabolic health is doing. And sometimes it's just uh, relevant to what we're looking for as far as what we're going to do. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and from my favorite, um, not my favorite, but so came into, as, come, as you know, it came into uh -huh. my hip pain. You're like, okay, we're going to start at the feet and the neck and then work our way in. And it's been working really well, but can you share why, um, like how that, philo that philosophy versus just going in and working only on the hip? In an example like that, um, the body, there's, there's, the, uh, there's the old song you learn in kindergarten, ankle bones connected to the knee bone, knee bones connected to the hip bone, which is very classic here. Um, we just know a little bit, we know a little bit more about that now. So uh, mechanically mm. speaking, um, when you're standing, the feet are your foundation for your body, just talking about that. So if your feet are off in their alignment, they're going to affect how the knees are, which is going to translate up to the hips. So probably the most dramatic example of that is um, I have had people who've had headaches and I put, or, and then we do orthotics and the headaches go away just because your feet yeah. affect, affect your posture all the way up. So um, that's, a, that's the most dramatic example, but with a hip, that's very, that's very clear to see mechanically connected um, once it's pointed out to you sometimes. <laughs> and then, uh, and, yeah. yes. And then. Uh, and I see how the feet go up to the hip. What I don't quite understand is how the neck goes down to the hip. Yes, yeah, so that has a lot to do with our, with our uh, interaction with gravity. So basically once we go into an upright posture, our body has to integrate everything for us to be able to stand and walk. And so part of that integration is a series of reflexes that occur at the joints, uh, particularly in the neck. Um, basically your body wants to keep your head upright and level. And if that's off, then that will translate down to malfunction in different areas of your body. And so um, that's really the key distinction of, of where that can show up as a hip problem that's coming from your neck is really from those reflexes that are part of our uh, playing with, playing with uh, gravity. Right. And with the NET, the neuroemotional technique, um, yes. so you're saying that that will help or actually heal the physical body. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If there are emotional connections there, then it absolutely does. Um, I don't know if we've chatted before with regard to it, but um, did you ever hear of Candace Pert? She wrote no. a book, I think it was the 1990s called um, uh, Molecules of Emotion. And okay. uh, she was a researcher at NIH, the National Institute of Health, doing cancer research. Um, and we're not going on a sidetrack here. This has a point to it. <laughs> so um, in her research, what she discovered was that in, she was doing tissue samples. And she discovered that every tissue sample that she was doing had neurotransmitters in it. So the revolution in that at the time was that neurotransmitters, which are the chemical messengers between nerve cells, were thought, thought only to exist in the nervous system and primarily the brain, but she was finding them in every tissue she sampled in the body. So that really broke the door open, showing that 
emotional mind body connection. Um, so that was a that was a, just a, a really revolutionary in terms of what she discovered and how that showed us that on a scientific level that how we can have these uh, emotional connections to the body. The emotional tension. And that was 1990. Oops, you said that was 1990. In the night, I believe it was in the 1990s. I don't remember the exact exact date on it, but uh, Molecules of Emotion, I believe, was her first book, kind of the uh, groundbreaking. And is that so? Did NET come out after that, or as a result of that? NET came out be before then. So NET was okay. developed in the in the I think the late. It was kind of found and kind of put together in the late '80s. It was a combination of different techniques from kinesiology that that uh, that looked at these different connections. And and this doctor did a fantastic job of basically tying the connections together from Chinese medicine, looking at the uh, the way organs store different emotions, uh, connection from Chinese medicine to different reflexes in the body to uh, what we we'll call vertebral sequences, uh, ways to help reset the body. Uh, to those emotional triggers or conditioned responses. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, I would love to hear a little more detail about NET. Um, uh -huh. And in addition to one of my uh, clients that I sent to you and you did the cranial facial release, otherwise <laughs> known as ballooning. So what yes. we're going to do is take a really brief break and we'll be right back to continue those conversations. Okay. Sounds great. In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges. Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. Through prevention, early intervention, and holistic treatment, we believe many of the big problems facing today's youth can be transformed within a generation. Extraordinary Lives Foundation is excited to offer the Hugs for Life Healing Center, growing a worldwide network of approved holistic healers and bridging the gap between traditional and complementary healing options. Visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. We hope that you're enjoying today's Let's Talk Wellness podcast. And if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at info at elfempowers.org. That's info at elfempowers.org. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, and I would like to say welcome back to Dr. Greg Olson. Dr. Olson is a doctor of chiropractic specializing in integrative health and he focuses on the integration of emotional, physical, and metabolic health. Fantastic. Thanks for uh, coming back today and, and uh, finishing up this talk. I'm looking forward to it. So I... Beautiful. So, yeah, we were talking about NET, yeah. so if you could uh, continue from there. That'd be wonderful. Absolutely. So, Mara, um, NET stands for Neuroemotional Technique. 
And what it is is about the physiology of emotions. And what that means is really how, how emotions can physically affect your body. So uh, one of, one of the, the distinctions here is um, many times when we bring up emotions, people are thinking, okay, I'm laying down, we're talking it out. And, you know, was, and, uh, and that is more of what we call cognitive therapy. And there's tons of different techniques with regard to that. And they're really fantastic. And sometimes you need to, to bring that into it as well to work through and have some uh, tactical skills. Um, but NET is really core raw at getting down to the physiology of emotions or how they're physically affecting your body. So what that means is every tissue in your body, as we were talking about what was discovered with, with uh, Dr. Candace Pert, is that um, literally every tissue in your body has the potential for storing emotions. Uh, and here, people are typically presenting with different types of problems that we need to work with. And um, we're looking to find if there's an emotional connection related to those and, and a high percentage of the time that we do. Um, and that could be as simple as we find an area that's that's painful and we find an emotional connection to it. And then afterwards we go, wow, that area is not painful anymore. Um, which shows a, you know, a really a very distinct connection at the time. Um, but part of, part of the fascinating thing is with NET is, um, when we talk about, uh, the physiology of emotions, we have, how did they get there? Um, one of the examples I, I talk about is, um, conditioned responses. So there's, uh, in psychology, there's a discussion about Pav Pavlov and his dogs. Um, basically what he would do would feed the dogs and ring a bell. And then pretty soon a bell would ring and the dogs would think, okay, I'm getting fed, okay? So we always laugh when telling this because eventually dogs would say, oh, you know, after a while they'd say, you know, you're not feeding me. I'm not, I'm not falling for that anymore. Um, but as human beings, um, we tend to get conditioned responses where we'll make associations with certain things. And a lot of those are really good. A lot of them are positive and form the foundation of, you know, how we get through life and are able to function without melting down on seeing a, a, a green wall and going, ah, that was, you know. Uh, but the, the, uh, the clinical portion of that is when we have exposure to things and make connections that produce a negative effect for our body. And that um, we commonly see those develop in those really key developmental ages between four, five, six years old. Or really, um, when the brain is at a point where it's developing, and we've all heard of the book, you know, everything I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. Um, we can also do a second version of that where everything I feel, I felt in kindergarten <laughs> um, uh -oh. to a certain extent. Um, but that is a time when the brain is really, again, making those connections. You know, we have kids, we go, okay, well, you know, they're starting to learn the alphabet. They're starting to learn numbers and they can do addition and subtraction where they also know when you got that look on your face <laughs> or that tone in your voice. Okay. And a lot of those are just kind of really innocent ones, but they can make a connection for kids. Um, so, but those are the types of things that we, that we look for that really, if you have that trigger as a four-year-old from a physiological standpoint, when your body sees something similar, it's going to go boom. I'm gonna respond like that four-year-old did, not cognitively, but physiologically. So if something created some tension or stress, you didn't like the tone of voice or look or something like that, your body went tightened up or changed something in it, your body's gonna do that same thing. Just like the Pavlov's dogs salivated, you're gonna have that response. The dogs got that extinction factor. We tend to carry it with us, okay? Um, and it's interesting, some of the early, research that was done with the founders um, tried to show different ways of clearing these emotions um, 
and they found it was very difficult. Um, they found that some um, some monks could do it with deep deep prayer, and they could clear some of them. Um, but outside of that, it was it was very very difficult from what they were checking out in terms of being able to clear these emotions. So that's a lot about. So how do they actually how how do they get cleared? Well, um, one probably the the primary or key part of the process is is uh, is discovering what we call the the uh, the triggering event. Um, and that's identifying when and when and where that 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 occurred. So if we do the muscle testing and we trace it back to you know a four year old event and it happened when mom yelled with you or or uh, when you had an event in preschool and the teacher was was uh, you know was being nice but saying hey you know you're not you got to do these things differently and you're not used to hearing that then you have a, you have a trigger in there. Um, but I'm sorry. So basically, identifying when and where that trigger was. So the brain can reconnect to it. Once the brain reconnects to it, there's a couple of different ways with, with NET to clear it. One is um, by doing light adjustments or taps on the spine in a specific sequence related to the nerve roots of that organ while you breathe in and breathe out. The other pathway is, is holding the acupuncture points or pulse points on the wrist while you do that same mm -hmm. process. But the primary thing is to identify that triggering event, what we call the neuroemotional complex then we can use a couple of different methods and work on to, to work on clearing it. And what I just want to um, reiterate that it's not like you're laying there and talk and the patient's not talking. You're the one that's actually doing all most of the work, pushing the arm, figuring out which organ it's from, figuring out the emotion that you're experiencing now, what it feeds back to. So um, I love that <laughs> because um, I mean, I guess, the patient can't really hide from the emotions because they're crystal clear whether or not they remember it. And it's so interesting that you said four to six because in the past couple of months, we've been doing a lot of sessions and you're like, you're four years old. Do you remember this? And kept going back and forth. That was very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. And so remember, I referred um, a patient to you recently um, for cranial facial release, the what um, mm -hmm. he keeps referring to is the ballooning. Can you share yes. with us um, what that's good for and a little bit about the process? I knew you wanted to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so cranial facial release, or sometimes referred to as ballooning, is uh, what we call intranasal balloon inflation. So basically, if it's indicated, we're going to slide a little balloon into your nose, what's called the nasopharynx, okay? The nasopharynx is the passageway between your nose and the back of your throat. So if you've ever had a mouthful of foods and started to laugh or cough and that comes up through your nose, that's that passageway, okay? Um, also, um, so what happens is the cranial bones can get restricted or sometimes people will have facial trauma. Uh, so sometimes uh, martial artists, boxers uh, may have facial trauma that impacts how these cranial bones are moving. And I just happen to have it right here. So fun picture for you. So. Oh. So uh, the nasal that was a balloon for a second. I got scared. <laughs> <laughs> I can break that out if you want to. Um, the nasal pharynx is through through this area in here, um, but it impacts these here. But the most important thing is this bone here that's colored yellow is called the sphenoid bone. And if I was to describe it, it's like it's like a cog in the cranium. And so when we breathe in and breathe out, it slightly moves, helping to pump the cerebral spinal fluid. Um, it also has to do with what we call um, dural tension. So there's a dural membrane that surrounds the brain and the spinal cord and all the nerves that go out from the brain all the way out through the body. And if there is a slight tension in that, kind of like if you have a towel and you start to twist it, 
it'll start twisting below. Same idea with the dural membrane. Um, that dural membrane is that lining, but it attaches at certain places around the cranium and the upper spine. And then not again until it gets down to the lower sacral area. But if there's tension in that area um, associated most commonly with trauma, but sometimes we'll see it from uh, a residual birth trauma uh, passing through the canal. Um, sometimes it falls as a child that you wouldn't really think of as traumatic. Um, but it's interesting, even uh, when we go with the cranial facial release and even when we do some advanced brain imaging, um, there'll be times where we'll see areas on the brain that are not uh, active metabolically. And it's like, you've had a trauma there. And that person has had denied that trauma. Like, no, I didn't have any trauma. I didn't have any trauma. Then they see a picture and all of a sudden it jars me. Oh yeah, when I was six years old, I fell off the, you know, the swing set and hit my head. And, um, but traumas like that can change how that cranium is able to move and function, um, putting tension into that dural membrane, which can affect the whole rest of the system. Okay, so uh, that can be done for everything from opening up these breathing pathways to um, affecting the pituitary. I've had patients with low thyroid um, that we've done this with and it's helped them in that process of getting the pituitary uh, more active in that. Um, we've had people with Lyme disease um, get this done and just, oh, it, it uh, uh, I'll say optimizes or boosts their immune system by taking that tension off and that connection between the nervous system and the immune system. Um, I'm gonna pause at that point because I'm, I'm, I'm going, over there, but uh, uh, you tell me what more no. if you want to hear about that, um, or if that's good. Right? How now. do you know? Right? How do you know if a patient needs that? So my primary method is through palpating uh, in the roof of the mouth. So if I bring this skull back up here, so I'm going to have the person open their mouth, and I'm going to feel up the hard palate onto that's called the soft palate, where it gets soft, and feel over to this stretch right here called the pterygoid process. So these should be symmetrical out here. When we have a cranial issue, then typically one will be dropped down and the other will be prominent and tender, showing that that has sh shifted or tilted slightly in there. And that shows that there's, a, there's an issue there. Um, there are other um, tests to do for what's called uh, that dural tension, um, which will also mm -hmm. be what I do. And that largely has to do with um, when we bring the hands behind the head and just Constantly pull the head forward like that, and I'll look for changes um, in different measurements down below in the legs when that happens. Wow, that's amazing. Um, can you share with us a few of your favorite uh, client patient stories without breaking HIPAA, of course, no names? <laughs> we'll keep HIPAA out of this. Um, yeah. So, um, so there are some really interesting stories. Um, I partly shared shared one. one that was the one with the, the cranial facial release um, who had Lyme um, was a fascinating fascinating connection with that neuroimmunological connection. Um, been, she had been suffering with Lyme for some time and really made a massive shift for her after that. Um, with regard to some of the emotional connections, um, uh, these are sometimes fun to share because as a chiropractor, people a lot of times think neck pain, back pain, and and uh, and we certainly work with those, but um, Years back, I had a patient um, who had um, really been crippled by some early childhood events. Um, she was somebody who had been molested um, as a young child, three, four, five years old, right in those prime developmental years. By the time she had been to see me, she had been in that cognitive type therapy for, I think, 20 or 25 years. Um, 
at that point, she was still um, uh, living at home, only feeling safe to work a part-time job, um, not seeing anybody. She was really just in a protective bubble. Um, so we started mm -hmm. doing the NEP with her. And it really, it wasn't for any physical complaints. It was because of these emotional connections, but um, it took some time to do that. But after about a, it was about a year, land, year time mark with her, um, things started to change. So uh, she started to date and eventually found her husband. Uh, she moved out mm -hmm. of her house, of her from her parents' house that she had lived in for years. Um, and she went from a part-time job to a full-time job and eventually moved from Southern California to another state. So um, her life completely opened up after that. Um, and that was one of the ones that kind of before, between the example of some of the cognitive therapy and, and some of the emotional triggers, she had had some great therapy done before, um, but there were just a massive amount because of that primary developmental time when they went in of those physiological connections. And so once that changed, um, her life began to change. So. That is, um, and how old was she? Uh, approximately when I started working with her, I think she was in her mid, mid thirties to late, mid to late thirties. Wow. That's a long time to carry around those, uh, emotions yeah, and responses. I, I don't remember the, the exact timing of, of, of when that was, but, uh, but it really was yeah. a fantastic turnaround. And so, uh, I still periodically see her and she's, she's doing great. And so, um, yeah, yeah. Really wonderful. Do you work with children and teens? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So um, most of the time, the earlier, um, if, there, if there are challenges going on, the earlier we start, the easier it is. Um, so if we have, if we have um, emotional triggers, if we have physical or physiological imbalances, the longer they, the longer they go, the more the body adapts into those. Um, and it's a little harder to get them resolved. But um, yeah, so teenagers and kids are fantastic to work with because Typically, they uh, they their bodies their bodies are really ready to make that change, um, and they have not adapted so strong and hard to them. Wow. Um, so, a couple of questions about that. Do you ever work with um, children that have ADD or ADHD? We definitely do. We definitely do. Yes. So uh, those are those are definite situations where uh, we can't typically pinpoint every kid experiences this thing um, it's an individual process sometimes we have uh, heavy metal toxicity sometimes a high percentage of the time we have gut dysbiosis um, gut barrier blood brain barrier um, type of things that are going on um, but yes we absolutely work with them absolutely beautiful um, and for young children that go through physical or sexual trauma and abuse uh -huh. Um, can you work with a child that um, has like a, like a four or five year old that's been sexually abused, but without bringing them back to that trauma? And be, it can be done. Yes. So um, there are so different ways. For me, but sorry, but for me, like at 56 to go back to that three or four year old little girl, I'm, yes. you know, I remember the situation. I'm okay to healing it, but like for that young to have to relive it, I can't imagine um, having to put them through that. Correct. Correct. Yes. So um, that's really a, a process based upon what the individual child can do. Um, so sometimes starting with generalities and then uh, seeing things 
uh, progress and get better. But um, doing the NET is, is um, in my experience, one of the least invasive ways of going through that because we can touch on it so lightly and then clear, clear the process or yeah. process. That's beautiful. And what about um, youth or teens that experience anxiety or depression? Um, yes, yes. My, <laughs> my only has it. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no, no problem with that. It was just, um, I almost immediately go to, um, to dietary issues with teens and the challenges that they face because, uh, food is such a dramatic, uh, connection for, for how the body works. So, but outside of, outside of that, um, you know, it's really, one of the first things that we, we go for in that is looking at food and dietary intake and then also gut health. So about 90% of the serotonin of the neurotransmitter serotonin for the body is produced in the gut. So if you're eating a diet or doing things, having high stress or whatever it is, it's affecting uh, your gut and gut health, then it's very, very common to see that. Um, and some of the latest work that's coming out in recent years is tying those really into an inflammatory process um, so there's inflammation happening in the body and very commonly the foods that they're eating, uh, the stress that they're going through all creates a kind of a vicious cycle um, in terms of that, mm -hmm. that uh, anxiety. Right. I know, especially with children on the spectrum, um, there are such picky eaters that, right. you know, with my son um, was six, I mean, just to get him to eat anything, you know, I mean, I'm embarrassed to admit that, okay, I'm going to get you protein by having a Reese's peanut butter cup with the, with, you know, the protein inside. <laughs> so um, I think that's the hardest challenge. I didn't realize that pasta had protein, but um, yeah, that's that health. Oh, it's such a challenge. It can be. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. It really can be. So, it's, wow. but it's critical. Well, you have been, yeah, you've been such a wealth of knowledge. Um, what are the best ways for people to get in touch with you? Um, try to keep it simple. Um, office phone number is 949-859-5192. Uh, uh, and the website uh, is askdrolson at, I'm sorry, askdrolson.com. Uh, that has our direct contact information in there as well as our social media sites. Um, so again, keeping it simple, those are the two easiest ways to connect with us. Uh, the phone number, you can call us or text us through that. So, oh, yeah, beautiful. Some people like texting. Okay, so it's, yes, that would be me. Um, so, askdrolson.com. We will have that in the phone number listed in okay. uh, the information. And it's been such a pleasure having you today. And don't forget to you and all of our listeners, you are amazing. Woo. Thank you, Mira. Awesome today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Wellness. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a division of the Extraordinary Lives Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you would like to listen to more conversations like this, we invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.